We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to jump into 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We've been hanging out here. Because the problem we have, the body of Christ, the church today, is pathetic. It's pathetic. We're weak. We're feeble-minded. We are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And I don't even mean like theology. I mean like whatever's out there. How many times have we tried to cram science into the Bible and say, well, the scientists say they must be right. But they're not. And I don't care what's going on. The church today is we're just kind of like flowing with everything. Here's the thing. When the church becomes the thermometer and not the thermostat, we have missed the point. It is time for the church to rise up and be what God called it to be. And the only way we're ever going to do that is to get back to the basics and understanding what the word is and ultimately what our responsibility is. How do we know what to do? How do we know how to worship God? How do we become born again? What are the right and wrong things that we should be doing to represent God? It comes from one source. And it's not your friend that hears from the Lord all the time. Those people can be crazy. They can be accurate, but they can also be nutty. All right? Just saying. We've been focused on the spiritual gifts here, looking at how God has equipped us. Remember, we started with the armor of God, being prepared for the defensive and an offensive battle. And what we did with that, each piece being broken down and how they tied in together, it is the same with the spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul, beginning to transition his thoughts to the church of Corinth, says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now why do you think he made that statement? That no one speaking by the Spirit of God would say that Jesus is a curse? And why no one can say that Jesus is born except by the Holy Spirit? Why do you think he would make that statement? Maybe because it was happening? You see, he's teaching a discernment factor here. Discerning what is coming from God. Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts with the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries with the same Lord. There are diversities of activities. But it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, another faith by the same spirit, another gift of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another uh, the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So the Lord distinguished this. You get this one. You get that one. Maybe you get all of them. Maybe you get it today. You get a different one tomorrow. Kind of as he wills. But here's the thing. When we begin to look at these, we've got to understand what they are. We call these the nine gifts. Did Jesus call them the nine gifts? Did Paul call them the nine gifts? No, we did. And guess what we do? We like to compartmentalize things if we can understand it better. We like pictures. So here they are, broken down for you in groups of three. The revelatory gifts and the word of wisdom, knowledge, and the discerning of spirit. The power gifts and the gift of faith, miracles, and the gifts of healing. And then we get into what we call the vocal gifts and tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. Now we've gone through each one of these. We're going to focus here on the last part here in the last couple of weeks, primarily in prophecy. So in that, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort of men. But he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, and he who prophesies edifies the church. 
I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with the tongue, unless he indeed he interprets, that the church may receive edification. Now there's a trend going here with Paul. We should be desiring these things. And then he puts prophecy up here. Why? Because if I speak in a known tongue a word from the Lord, you understand it. If I speak a word from the Lord in an unknown tongue, no comprende, senor. Right? We don't get it. We don't understand it. There's a purpose behind it. However, if that tongue is interpreted, then it is on the same level of prophecy. But going back to what matters is what is the source of the word being given. That's what matters. You see, he's creating an order of how things should be done in the church. When the assembly comes together, how things should be handled. The bottom line is the source of the word is always the same. The source of the gift is always the same. It comes from the Spirit of God. So you don't get to wake up one day and say, yeah, I think I'm going to get a word of wisdom today. This is the day. I can feel it coming. No, that's not how that works. There are times and places in which God will give these things to you. We've heard a whole lot of them over the last several weeks in dealing with the election. Talk more about that after a bit. I'm not going to focus on that. But we need to understand that the bottom line that we look at, we've got to discern what's from God and what's not. What do we judge against? It is Scripture. So what is prophecy? I broke this down, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. When we look at what prophecy is, it comes from prophes, which is a Greek word. It means from and before and phoebe to declare or speak forth. So you're, you're declaring something before it happens. We think of prophecy in a Greek mindset of speaking something out in fulfillment, prediction, fulfillment, right? Like yesterday is an example. Some of us predicted that Nebraska would show up for the game. <laughs> but somebody told Nebraska the game was canceled, apparently. So... That doesn't make us false prophets. <laughs> so in the Hebrew, it looks a little bit different. Prophets again in Greek, but in Hebrew, it's not be, which means to announce, to witness, to testify. Now remember, as we went through there, we talked about how Aaron was the prophet of Moses. In other words, he was the mouthpiece, the representative. He was speaking the will of Moses. What Moses said. Moses heard from God. He referred it to uh, Aaron, and Aaron was speaking for him. That's how a prophet works. So every time that we speak the words of Jesus, are we prophesying for God? Yes, we are declaring. The problem we have is when we think of prophecy, we think prediction and fulfillment. The Hebrews think of it in a, a series of patterns that they already but not yet fulfillment. They see something happen, it's going to happen again. It's clearly laid out in Scripture with Jesus. He's saying, listen, when you see um, the desolation, no, the, uh, what is it? Abomination of desolation. I get all the right words, just give them the wrong one. It's because I talk so fast. The abomination of desolation, well, guess what? That had already happened. And Titus Epiphanes, it was before Jesus' time, it's where the whole Hanukkah uh, holiday comes from. That had already happened. But he's saying, when you see it, he says it's going to happen again. Be prepared. It happened in 70 AD. They see these things coming in, the Jews show up, or, you know, the Romans show up, they're prepared. Will we see it again? Very likely. There's this already but not yet fulfillment. So understand this. When we talk about prophesying, you are declaring the word of the Lord. That's all it is. Now, if you do it from Scripture, it's from the written word of the Lord. And if you have a revelation from God on something, you're doing it from that revelation. The source is the same. Okay? Now, we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. It's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. It's for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, we have got five offices here, okay? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. In the Greek, it actually says pastors who can't teach, all right? But we separate these, and that's fine. It doesn't really make any difference. What is the purpose of these? It is to equip the saints, 
for the work in the ministry. So the ministry must be work, and who is it done by? It's done by the saints, not by these guys. These guys are doing the equipping, the preparing, the, uh, the teaching, and all of that. And then the rest of us, we get out and we go do stuff. Does that take the burden of, say, evangelism off of them? Of course not. We live our lives in that world as well. But these are specific calling that God has given to some, but not all. But here's the thing that I want you to catch. Just like anything, you would never create a, um, a false dollar bill, like a $3 bill, because there isn't one. A counterfeit, if you will. The only things that they would counterfeit are things that truly exist. Just like there are callings by God, there are antithesis to all of these. There are false apostles. There are all false prophets. There are false evangelists. There are all false pastors. And there are false teachers. Now, we don't think about it in this language, but you know that every one of these can be uh, brought out through Scripture? False prophets and false teachers. We know those all day long, right? What's a false prophet? Anybody who ever gave prophecy didn't come true. False prophet. What's a false teacher? You taught something I didn't like. That's just reality of it. We know about these. In 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We were talking about this last week a little bit. Is that there are false prophets out there, but it doesn't tell us what they are. It just says they exist. And Matthew 24, 11 says, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So it says that they're going to rise up and they will deceive, but it doesn't tell us who they are. And that's what we have to distinguish. So thankfully, because of the power of the internet and social media, they have told us who they are. Here's a few of the pictures. We looked at these last week. I am so nice of them to break this down. Again, I am not saying whether these guys are or aren't. The majority of these people, I couldn't tell you some of the names on here. Most of this one I could most of I'm not saying they're good or bad. I'm just telling you what's online. Go to the next one. Stephen Furtick. You guys seen him recently? You guys remember him that have seen him recently? How many years ago? He hit the weight room. He's got big. But again, they're calling him a false teacher. Go to the next one. Don MacArthur. Straight laced. Don MacArthur. You cannot get more straight than him. False problem. Go to the next one. Here's some more. You got Spurgeon in there, Billy Graham. I don't know who else some of these guys are. One more. Apostasy and false prophets. All of these guys are being labeled that way. Do you know why? Because we apparently don't know what a false prophet and false teacher is. You see, what I began to show you, and I wanted you to see, is there's this distinction between a false prophet and one who prophesies falsely. I want you to know that. There's a distinction between a false teacher and one who teaches false things. And you're going to see today there's a distinction between a false apostle and an actual apostle and what they look like and what they do. So let's go through 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to talk about the false teachers. We read this last week, but I want you to see this again. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow the destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Now what do we see here? What we see is motive. They are bringing in destructive heresies secretly. They are denying the Lord. So they are, they are a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
It's not like they got up here and said, hey, I'm teaching something, and it turns out I wasn't accurate. I missed it. They know what they're doing. You see, the falsity in this, and this is what we have to catch, is the motive behind it, not the individual word itself. Let's go on, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous law, who was oppressed by filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation to preserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and mind do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, these being these false prophets and teachers, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil things that they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption, will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without waters, cloud carried by a tempest, from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the flesh, the flesh through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who will live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. By whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they had escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than have, having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Did this sound like an individual who had been preaching a message that believed it in their heart only to find out later they were wrong? Or does this sound like an individual who from the beginning was seeking deception, looking to pull the wool over your eyes? There's a huge difference between a false teacher and one who teaches falsely. It's like we talk about hypocrites in the church, right? The term hypocrite is not to say one thing or, and do another. Because guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We all make it. Like when people tell me, like, well, I don't want to go to church because, you know, I don't, I don't get into some of that stuff. There's too many hypocrites. I'm like, just come on. There's only room for one more. We got plenty of seats. The thing, a hypocrite in the Greek, it was used uh, during, like, Shakespeare time and stuff, was one who put on a mask to portray himself as something he was not. It's not to say one thing and do another. It's like knowing the right thing to do. It's like Paul in Romans 7 when he's kind of lost his mind. You know, things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are things I do. He kind of like had a stroke or something. You know what I'm talking about. It's not that, like, I, I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. It's I am portraying myself as an angel of life. I am portraying myself as a preacher of the gospel, as a teacher of God, as a prophet from the Lord. That is a hypocrite. 
There's a distinction. distinction there. Now, I want to show you, now that we've seen what a false teacher truly is, let's look at one who was teaching falsely. Okay? We didn't get into this last week. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. You guys know the story. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. So he knew what he was doing. He came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being firm in his spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Was he a false teacher? No. He was teaching what he knew, albeit limited. And then somebody came in and brought correction and said, let me show you just a little bit more. None of the guys that created those memes would call him a false teacher. But they'll call all these other guys for whatever reason. I can't even tell you what the reasons are. I'm not saying they aren't false teachers, okay? Or false prophets. I'm not, I'm not making a declaration one way or the other. Because to be honest with you, I don't follow any of those guys. I don't have any clue what they teach. But the point is, is you guys can see the distinction between the two. You guys with me? Everybody get it? Okay, moving on. False apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent CD Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preach another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostle. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself, that you might be exalted, because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you, and indeed, I was a burden to no one. And for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. But what I do... I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false, false apostles, their deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Now, Paul here is giving a distinction between himself as an apostle and these other guys, whom he calls false apostles. Now, what is an apostle? Understanding what an apostle is, we've got to look back at the example of what an apostle is. Okay? Now, without spending tons of time, what is an apostle? One of them, 12, had very distinct characteristics. They had to be with Jesus from the moment of his baptism to the moment of his death. That was the rules. That is why when in Acts chapter 1, when they're looking, they're saying, okay, there's basically two guys that could be the 12th after Judas is gone. They roll the dice, and Theus comes up, 
Good for him. Paul did not meet that criteria, yet he was chosen by God as an apostle. Are there apostles after this fact? Absolutely. They're a small a apostle. Why? They don't meet the criteria. The criteria is what it is. But in this, we see what they do. We see that the apostles went around establishing churches, preaching the gospel. Right? That's what they did. These guys, as he's making a distinction, went around doing another thing. Here's what they did. There's three things that he said. First of all, they preached another Jesus. What's another Jesus? Well, there's Jesus, and then there's not Jesus. Okay? Preaching another Jesus would be like, let me tell you about this Jesus. He's all love and mercy and grace. He doesn't care about your sin. That conveys you the way you are. He loves you just the way you are. Is that the Jesus of the Bible? No, not even close. Jesus said, never judge. Somebody should have let him know because he judged a lot. I mean, it's all this not. What do we do? We create a God in our own eyes. This is number one. They're preaching a Jesus that is not Jesus. There's one Jesus. That's it. You don't get to make a different one. Okay? The other thing is, they're looking for money. He talks about how, did I take anything from you? Was I a burden to you? No. These other churches funded me to come here. Even when I was in need, I didn't ask you for anything. That tells me that these other guys were looking for everything. How many offers can you take on this service? I've seen four in one service. I don't know how many you've seen. That was a record for me. Apparently the first three weren't good enough. Got to keep going to get what you want. <laughs> and the last part is they portray themselves as a minister of Christ. They're saying that I am representing Jesus himself, all while coming and bringing you, not Jesus. You guys see that? So you've got apostles, and you've got false apostles. Well, how about evangelists? Because how do you have a false evangelist? That just sounds like that. Well, let's look at evangelists. Acts 21, verse 8. We've got to distinguish what an evangelist is and what he does. It says, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea into the house of Philip, the evangelist. So thankfully, when Luke was writing this, he told us what Philip was. Right? That sure helps a lot. Who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Did he say they were prophets? Not necessarily, but they were certainly prophesied. <coughs> Could they have been prophets? Sure. Now, he gives us some clues. The biggest clue in here, number one, his name's Philip. He's an evangelist, and he's one of the seven. So what is one of the seven? Well, we've got to go back to Acts chapter 6, read this out. Verse 1, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against uh, the Hebrews by the Hellenists, those are the Greek Jews, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, what are they doing? We're, we're talking about how, how the widows aren't getting the food and all of that and how things, remember, they had all things in common at this point. Very early on in the church, they're in Jerusalem. He said, listen, we can't take ourselves from the work of the ministry, so we need some help. We're, we're going to focus here. We need some people that will step up and help. And then he says, so just go find seven guys. No, what do they need? They need to be of good reputation, and they need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And wisdom. It's a key. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, there he is, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, 
Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So now we see who Philip is. He was one of the seven chosen to be a deacon, essentially, to help serve in the ministry right then and there. So we see where his ministry calling would be, if you will, and we see what his title is in Acts 21. Now let's see him in action, okay? Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So what's going on? This is when Paul is going out. He's, he's, he's a mercenary. He's out looking for Christians. Verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ. And now pause. Remember what Samaria was. It was a place where the Jews did not go. These were half-Jews. They wanted nothing to do with them. And the multitudes of one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So what did the Philip, the evangelist, what did he do? He went out and preached the gospel. And signs and wonders followed. What does an evangelist do? That's what they do. Right? Very simple. Now, let's look at the antithesis of this. Now, it doesn't directly say that these are false evangelists, but now that we know what an evangelist does, let's look at some examples of Jesus' life, where men who have portrayed themselves to be the people of God, bringing a false message. You ready? John chapter 8, verse 12. I'm going to read for a little bit. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, I'm going to pause for just a second. I would really encourage you to look into that. This is right after um, the Feast of, it would be Tabernacles. Right after the Feast of Tabernacles. This declaration being the light of the world ties into that. This is the moment after they pour the water on the temple. And he says, I am the living water. Big thing going on. This is why he's got these guys all riled up. All right, verse 13. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Here's the battle. Jesus and the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? These were the people of God. They were in power on the Sanhedrin at this point. They were the literalists. They loved the Torah. They loved the prophets. They were the ones that when somebody would perform a messianic miracle would be reported to them, and they would go and investigate to begin to look and say, okay, could this possibly be the Messiah? They were the ones to declare whether this person was or was not the Messiah. They're standing in front of them. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, So where is your Father? Jesus said, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would also know my father. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. But then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Because he says, Where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. They said, then who are you? Jesus said, 
just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They do not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself. How will they know that? He's coming back. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, You abide in my word, and you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do not, uh, and you do what you have seen with your father. And they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father. That's God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of the, your father, the devil, and the desire of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, the and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, you shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out, out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. I do, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most surely I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. What just happened? You have the false evangelists out propagating their message. Their message is, that can't be the Messiah. You know why? We didn't say he He can't be the Messiah because he's not who we thought he was. He can't be the Messiah because he hasn't done the things that we thought he was going to do. You see, Jesus performed these miracles, confirming. They knew. That is why when, after he resurrected and the guards are standing there, they're like, listen, tell them that, uh, that, that they like, knocked you out, you were asleep or something. They're paying him money. Why? They're trying to deny. That's why they tried to kill Lazarus, to make him go away. Why? That was a proof that he was, a Messiah, he was the Messiah. 
So it wasn't that they didn't know. They knew. They weren't confused. They were of their father, their devil. They were looking for one thing and one thing only. Top. They didn't want to let go. That's an example of a false evangelist. They're out spreading their message. We see the Jews constantly. We read it last week. As Paul would go to one town, the next they would bring down these people. And they would try to get after them. You know what they call that today? If you go over to Israel as a, as a missionary, they have a group set up. They're called counter-missionaries. And the counter-missionaries do exactly what it sounds like. They stand in the face of the people bringing the gospel that Messiah has arrived. The counter-missionaries are typically your rabbis and stuff of this day saying, no, 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 those people are liars. They're blinding them of the truth. Sadly, one of the largest ministries in America helps fund that today. John Haggard, if you didn't know that. Yeah, CUFI, I think is what it's called. They have an agreement with the heads of Israel that they will not help spread the gospel in any way. In fact, I've done things to stand in the way of the spread of the gospel, and I have proof of that, and I have friends of mine that are over there. I'm just telling you, this is what's going on. It's the same there. It's the exact same thing that's going on. What are they doing? They're standing in the way of the gospel. Now, should we be surprised in any, in any way that this stuff happens? That there are teachers and false teachers, prophets and false prophets? Absolutely not. You know what the number one marker of that is? They're a false Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, and there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Jesus is warning them, false Christ. And what are they going to do? Great signs and wonders to deceive. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no, no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know that what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Who is he referring to? The Antichrist. Anti is not against. It means pseudo. You are portraying yourself as the Messiah with false signs and lying wonders. Right? That's the same thing here. They're portraying themselves as prophets, as teachers, as apostles, as evangelists. What is the motive behind it? That's the distinguishing factor. There's a lot of grace that people will get from me for somebody who is trying to do well and just screws up. Versus their motive is self-seeking, self-righteous, building their platforms. You guys should see the stuff that goes out on how to build a church today. It is all, all carnal. 
Do all of these things. Get more people to come. Get online. All this stuff. Steps to grow. How do you grow the church? You reach the lost. You make disciples. You don't build a place where everybody just comes in and feels comfortable. I mean, I love air conditioning. I, especially after being in El Salvador and the Philippines preaching. Let me tell you something. God bless whoever invented the air conditioner. Mr. AC himself. Wonderful man. I'm hugging him when we get to heaven. There's no doubt in my mind he's there. But the thing is, guys, is that, that we see the motives behind that. So let's bring it home and let's come back to the prophets. Because this is where we're going to focus. What is a false prophet? Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. This is Jesus' word. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. What is a false prophet? It is one who portrays themselves, they're in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. How do you know the difference? Look at their work. Not their words. Look at their actions. Is that true in every other situation? Absolutely. You see, the motive behind here, they're not just somebody who's like, I think I heard from God, and I'm delivering this message. They know. Look at the false prophets in the Old Testament. They knew they weren't hearing from God. They were all trying to put something out that they weren't uh, really hearing. If you look at verse 13 here, we'll go back up, catch the whole context. This is Jesus, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. What's he talking about? Salvation. Skip down to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, who, who he who practices lawlessness. That is sandwiched on there around this false prophet. And what is going on? He's saying these people are intentionally leading people astray. Here you've got a group of individuals like, but didn't we do this in your name? They never knew it. That's the thing. We've got to begin to catch this stuff. Now, before I wrap this up, let's talk about what's going on right now. Because we've got a lot of prophets. Now, I'm going to tell you the God, the honest truth. I do not follow any prophets. In fact, I've learned a whole bunch of names of people that call themselves prophets. All right. I cannot speak about any one of their ministry. I don't know anything about these people at all. But we've got a problem, don't we? Trump was prophesied to be a two-term president by Kim Clement back in 2007. He said it. He said it multiple times after that. We've had many prophets today. I'm getting the words that these guys are legitimate people off of other people that talk, because I don't. That has said the exact same thing. And what has happened? We don't know. Right? I don't care what they say on TV. So here's where we are. Number one, let's say everything holds out the way it portrays to be right now. What should every one of those people that said he would be a two-term president say? I missed it. I'm sorry. I missed it. Does that mean they're false prophets? Not necessarily. But maybe they prophesied falsely. 
one thing to consider, you know, a two-term president doesn't have to have consecutive terms. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I am not a prophet, making that very clear. There is no thus saith the Lord for me. But the other side of the coin is, is let's look at this from a biblical standpoint. Because no matter what's going on, and there's a lot of talk about this from prophets, is we always have to lean on God's word. Yes or no? We always go back. So let me give you an example. God had promised the nation of Israel that they were going to go into the land of Egypt. They were going to be there for 400 years. And then he promised them that he was going to bring them out. And he promised Abraham that he was going to give them a land that, there was, that was their own. All they got to do is take it. And they sent 12 men to inspect the land. Ten of them came back scared to death. We cannot do it. There's no way. There's giants in the land. Two of them believed God's word. Ten of them did not. The consequence for that was great for the nation of Israel. Right? If these prophets' words are true, does it matter what we're staring at on our TV set right now? No. We stand confident in God's word. Prophets can miss it. I'm not saying they did or didn't. But I'm saying, if God has spoken, why are we freaking out? Why are we losing sleep? Why are we concerned at all? Imagine, if you will, we always say this. I think it's cute how we think we're better than the apostles and these other guys. We're not. We suck. <laughs> Jesus said, guess what, boys and girls? I'm going to die. You're like, no, 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 no. No, no, it's all cool. I'm going to die. But three days later, I'm coming back. No, you're not going to die. No, no. And then he died. Now, if they believed God's word, their reaction to the death would have been like, see you in three days. But that's not what happened. Nobody believed him. They were faced with the death of who they thought was, was the Messiah. Look at the, the guys on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, what's going on? Like, where have you been? Like, how do you not know? Like, we really thought he was the guy. We really thought he was. They didn't believe God's word. All I'm telling you is we cannot be moved by what we hear. We cannot be moved by what we see. We cannot even be moved by how we feel. We can only be moved by the truth, and the truth will set you free. We have to stand on the promise of God. Nothing else. If God spoke, then God's word will become true. If God didn't speak, there should be repentance from your mouth. And if God didn't speak, and this is the bed that we're lying in church, let's wake up and be the church. Let's continue to pray. Let's continue to serve the Lord. Let's not worry about what the economy's going to do or they're going to come and put us in handcuffs for preaching against sin or whatever. Who cares? Everybody that wrote the Bible died for the same thing. I don't know about you, but I lost some Facebook friends recently. That's as bad as it's gotten so far. I'm still doing okay. So what do we do? What do we do when we're looking at prophecy and false prophets and how do we judge all of that? We do what Scripture says. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do you test the spirit to see if they're from God? It's not a written exam. Is what they said line up with what the Word of God says? That's the test. It's very simple. Now, in moments of what we're talking about, this doesn't make, again, we're not talking about false prophets. 
These men have been claimed as, I'm assuming, because again, I don't follow these people, that these are men of God that have given prophecies in the past that have been fulfilled. If you get a pattern of getting it wrong, maybe you should give yourself a new title. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Don't quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, test all things, and hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Some of y'all just need to stay on Facebook for a while. Keep your mouth shut. What does he just say? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. How many of you guys woke up on Wednesday thankful to the Lord for another day? Good. The rest of you are honest. No, that's good. <laughs> the thing is, is, what do we do? We test all things. We hold fast that is good. Not every word that comes from a, from a pulpit, from anyone, from TV, preach, don't care what you hear, what book you read, not everything that is good is there. We test it. We hold on to what's good. That means you could be reading a book that has really good content in it and really bad content in it. I read one of the best books on spiritual warfare years ago by a guy named Ron Phillips. The first third of the book was completely unscriptural and garbage. But the last two-thirds was pretty solid. I did not label him a false teacher. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. What are we judging? I mean, that's literally talking about in the assembly. Prophets get up, they speak the word from the Lord. Everybody else judges that word. What are we judging? Oh, that was nice. I really like that word. Didn't like that one. No. We're always going on what Acts 17 says, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately said, Paul and Cyrus away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those of Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Everything comes back to the word. What I'm telling you is you have to understand what this is. This is a book written by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down the things that they heard and the things that they saw. Every event in it is true. The Gospels are the eyewitness testimony of those guys and what they saw and what they were told. The book of Acts is a, a chronicling of the events that took place past that. The rest of the New Testament is pretty much instruction on how we live based off of a, a, a Christian worldview. The book of Revelation is all prophecy. Here's the thing. It was prophesied to the people in the Old Testament that Messiah was going to come and he would bring with him the way of salvation. Did they believe that word? Absolutely. It talks about that in Hebrews 11, how they believed it was accounted to them righteousness. Many of us believe that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. What do we have to stand on to prove that? Nothing. We have no problem accepting it as true. We have no problem accepting the fact that Jesus is going to return. We have no problem accepting the fact that Jesus' mom was a virgin. We have no problem accepting these things that came from the mouths of prophets all this time. And now suddenly when we're facing something like, well, that didn't go the way we thought it should. His word is either true or it's not. There is no in-between. You stand on this thing no matter what happens. This year has been weird. Is that fair? It's been the oddest year I ever remember. Everything about it. And we have recognized that the church in America is pathetic. There's no other way to put it. 
We all kind of knew it, but we more than proved it. And I think, call it what you will, I think God is bringing distinction between the real church and the false church. And with that, we have to stand on God's word. The thing is, guys, it's going to get ugly. It was promised. They hate me. They'll hate you. Deal with it. And we've been walking this line of, well, we don't want to be too harsh. We don't want to say this. We say, say the truth. I, I, I've said this before, but does American Idol even on TV anymore? I don't even know that. But I used to love that show in the early weeks. And do you know why? Some of the worst singers in America would show up thinking they're the best singer in America. And there was two parts that I liked. A, it was funny, and two, it gave me more confidence in my voice. <laughs> but the thing is, is, when they got shot down, they were absolutely shocked. Because they had a bunch of people around them their entire lives that lied to them, saying, you're really good. No, they weren't. I try to keep my kids humble. My son goes out and plays basketball and shoots the ball ten times and makes zero. He's like, Dad, I'm doing good. No, you're not. <laughs> I mean, the genetics is not voting well for his athletic career. But the bottom line is, is that he's like, let's just be real. Let's get back to being honest. Did Jesus sugarcoat anything? Think about this. When the rich man came, he said, well, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of God? He said, well, get rid of all your stuff. And the guy turned around and said, I don't, I don't like that. What would the church today do? Well, okay, hold on, hold on. Don't leave yet. You want to get rid of everything right away. Uh, we can do this over time. We can take an easy payment plan. Like You can just kind of piece it out as you feel comfortable. But what did Jesus do? Sayonara. Because this is the reality. And if you don't want reality, then go live somewhere else and get your own reality. That's the thing. We've gotten away from truth. We no longer stand for truth. We stand for opinion. The word that was spoken by the mouth of these supposed prophets, and I'm only saying it because I don't know anything about these people, is either true or it's not. There is no in-between. If that is a word from God, then we got nothing to fear. If it's not from a word from God, then we got nothing to fear. Amen? Amen. Is that fair? Let's stop freaking out. Turn off your TV. For heaven's sake, open your Bible. Pray more. Get off Facebook. Eat some ice cream. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that no matter what is going on.